The Y Curve with Phil Dobby and Roger Hearing. Think things are bad? Try being a Tory MP. The poll numbers are pointing ever downwards. Few think they'll hang on to their jobs in next year's election. Many are already cutting and running. The terrible headlines pile up every day. Inflation strikes, a collapsing NHS, Brexit fallout. And what has Rishi Sunak pulled out of his sack? Reversing on green regulations, attacking ULEs and eco-taxes. Desperate? Definitely. Cynical? Probably. Effective? Maybe. But what chance does the party that's held power for 13 years have now? Can it avoid a wipeout? Could it even somehow cling to office? Uh, That's this week on The Y Curve, brought to you by Wigmore Associates. The Y Curve. So, yeah, it is uh, looking desperate, isn't it, for the Tory party? I mean, if you look at some of the latest polling numbers, they are absolutely horrendous. But, you know, we are perhaps six months away from an election. So one in the eye yesterday, uh, not one in the eye, eye. one from the eye newspaper, has got Labour on 44 voting intentions, voting voting 44% for Labour, 27% for Conservative. I've seen some having the Tories as low as 25%. In fact, Politico's poll of polls has got, yeah, 25 or 26%. Yeah, it's a wipeout if if that happens. But, I mean, you know, we got a campaign to go before but i mean they just seem to be thrashing out in all directions to try and find some way of saving them but it has been this bad before hasn't it so back in 2019 before Mm. the general election just a few months before the tories were down to around 20 percent and then they bounced back up again but that was one very specific issue that was all about then of course you may remember yeah um i mean i I think i think there's a different thing going on here because i think they don't know where to turn what's mm. who what the party is well, they're what, killing each other well it's exactly it is it's blue on blue isn't mm. it because this is a party now where the extreme right has latched onto the whole thing about migration yeah uh, and uh using you know what some might call desperation tactics yeah. well i might call it desperation you, tactics. you definitely uh, would do you know it. why i would call it that why? because that's what it is ah, isn't it right yes no, uh, it, it certainly so barges in dorsey you got the deputy chairman of the tory party saying you know if migrants don't like it they they're can gonna f off back to France (laughs) I mean this is not a a party that's united or even has any sense of decorum about it pushing itself further to a more minority area many people think I mean it doesn't actually do them any good to to push off to the far right because it doesn't uh, get them a lot of votes Uh, and I mean things like coming out of the European Court of Human Rights for example Mm. I mean that's not something that's nothing to do with the EU that's that goes back to Churchill's day and it will be seen internationally as incredibly negative moves but but they are talking about it who cares about what the international opinion is it's what we it's you know, red it's what, meat it, with ex- exactly what it is yeah. uh, and it is growing this yawning chasm between the Tories and Labour but the problem is it's just yawning at the Labour Party isn't it see what I did there you did, uh, I did. It's, I mean, very they, neat it's just I mean if we go to a Labour government we're going through a, a period of very dull government possibly and you know is that going to last I, I just wonder mm. you know it's something we can explore today mm. whether we are going through our own Trump moment so Trump was very successful. Then he got ousted. Mm. Uh, we went through a period of, you know, not particularly effective government. And it looks like Trump's going to get back in again. But you so, think Boris is going to be taken to court and actually come back to power? Boris might come back. Ah, from, he'd have to have a few trials. Well, whether first. it's Boris or, you know, maybe there's some hope. that Nadine Tr- Doris? <laughs> you see, it just... 
you know, I just not the worst or anything. We, <laughs> no, we no, hate you to think that. Yeah, we no. hate that. But the other, the other factor, which which I'm surprised you latched onto, is the is the economic cycle because yeah. the way it's working is that most people feel poorer generally. Yeah, and that is likely to come right the way through. Yes, and if it begins to turn, to, up, who would want yeah. to be in government? If when the signals begin to look better, then yeah. there's a reasonable chance they will start looking better pretty much towards the end of next year, which might be the moment of the election. Now, p- uh, politics may wax and wane, but uh, you don't want that to happen to your hard and wealth. That's why you need to have it managed by Wigmore Associates. They are a boutique wealth management company who can look after your investments, your assets, your pension. They'll do their best to ensure that you get the return you deserve. So there's money for your future, for your children's future, and uh, that you're not paying too much to the tax man as well in the uh, in the interim. Uh, they'll help you get the balance right for your portfolio, depending on whether you're looking at a long-term or short-term plan. Give them a call. Contact wigmore-associates.co.uk. Their email is on the website too, or you can give them a call on 020-7224-3400. That is what they call in the business a paid promotion. It is. It is. Yeah, and just it works. Because you and worked they, for the BBC for so long, it might be alien to you. That yeah, well, sort of thing. well, the main thing is they keep us on air, which is very important. But let's talk about the issues for the Tories and what's going to happen with them. Joining us, I'm very pleased to say, is Tim Bale, Professor of Politics at Queen Mary University, London. And uh, he joins us now. So, Tim, I mean, this, I mean, it is looking pretty tragic for the Tory party right now. But, of course, they have been in, you know, low ebb before and they've picked up. Uh, I guess it's a big ask, though, that they're going to pick up this time in time for the next election, isn't it? And without a change in leadership, which seems unlikely. Another seems, change in leadership? Well, I mean, well, well, why not? But, I mean, it seems they won't do that. So, but perhaps they'll come back after one term out of government. Well, that's possible. I mean, let's take the polling uh, first of all. It doesn't look good for them. You're right. I mean, there are some recent polls which have the Conservatives, you know, if there were to be an election tomorrow, which of course there won't be, uh, on 100 or so seats, even perhaps below 100 seats with Labour, you know, um, and 450 (laughs) touching on 500. I mean, that clearly isn't going Mm. to happen. Um, but I think a lot of conservatives are probably mistaken in putting their faith in some kind of inevitable uh, shift back to them uh, before the next election. Now, I mean, I'm sure there will be some tightening of the polls, but I think people ought to be very careful about assuming it will be anything like big enough uh, to ensure that they get back in next time. So, Tim, what is the problem that they've got fundamentally? I mean, it's a question, I suppose, some of the answers are pretty obvious, but what do you think is the fundamental issue that makes them so unpopular? Well, I mean, I think you do have to look at some of the basics. I think the economy is very important. Um, You know, we've got used to the idea that somehow elections are no longer about economics, they're all about culture. I mean, I never really bought into that idea in the first place. But even if that were the case, I think, generally speaking, it would be fair to say that economics trumps culture. And when you've got a situation where you've had, you know, to to coin a phrase, a cost of living crisis that's been going on now for uh, at least a year, uh, you've got a situation where, um, you know, wages are only just beginning to keep up with uh, rising prices. Uh, I think that is a real problem for any government. And then you look at the state of public services, and this is in some ways the norm for conservative governments after a while. Uh, You know, they are beginning to really feel the strain, beginning, as the opposition would say, to crumble. Uh, And people are noticing, particularly, obviously, when it comes to the National Health Service, and not just in terms of the, you know, inordinately long waiting lists that some people are facing, 
You know, there's supposedly 7.5 million people on those waiting lists, uh, but also just day-to-day difficulty in getting an appointment with their GP, uh, for example. And if they do happen to turn up at A&E, perhaps because they can't see their GP, uh, they're facing very long waits there uh, as well. So uh, I think, you know, those uh, very basic fundamentals, if you like, are very important to uh, A lot of that is difficult to fix. I'm not sure the Labour Party are going to be able to fix it. So so the impact of inflation has, has already been felt. So even if we say, well, okay, wages now are growing pretty much in line with inflation, the damage has already been done, hasn't it? We've already had that, uh, that, that you've already fallen behind, uh, if, particularly if you're in a lower income uh, capacity. So they're feeling the hurt. And I'm not sure Labour can do anything to fix that. And then, you know, we have another fiscal conservative in Keir Starmer who's not going to up uh, government spending a great deal. So a lot of those problems are not going to be fixed in a hurry either. So that's what makes me wonder whether, in fact, you know, we're in for a one-term Labour government without real much success in those things that people are looking for. Well, we're really running ahead of ourselves now, but let's yes, let's I'll do that, that a bit. I mean, let's let's let's, <laughs> let's think get about, to the election first. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, uh, uh, talking about the election, talking about Labour. I mean, Labour have got a problem in the sense that if things are so dire, it might be very difficult for them to argue, particularly as you say, because you know they are fiscally constrained uh, to to use that cliche um, to persuade the public that. You know, they've got a, an alternative and, you know, they've got a solution and that it is an inspiring solution. But having said that, I mean, to, to fall back on another cliche, I mean, I'm afraid it is true that generally speaking, governments lose elections. Oppositions don't necessarily win them. Um, and I think when you've got a government in, in this much trouble, um, partly because of the way the economy has been for some time, but also partly because I think many people hold particularly Liz Truss responsible for crashing the economy and therefore for, you know, the Conservative Party responsible for crashing the economy. You know, although they have got a new leader in Rishi Sunak, well, he's not so new now, uh, I think that still does impact on the Conservatives' reputation for economic competence. And, 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 and- and it's not, I mean, you, met, you said it is basically economics rather than culture, but I'm just thinking, if we go back to the, the whole party gate issue when that was around, mm. the economy wasn't, I mean, it wasn't great, but we didn't have the problems we have now. And yet, I remember then the polls around the time when Boris Johnson went were, were pretty dire for the Tories, certainly for him personally, but also for the party. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Partygate clearly is playing into all of this. Uh, I mean, I think the government gained a reputation there for being dishonest. I think the, the government also gained a reputation, not just because of that, but you know, partly due to that for incompetence. And that goes back into the trust um, question as well. Uh, and I think when we're talking about not just the ability to manage the economy, but general competence, then I think the government is in trouble uh, as a result of that. So I think it's it's the last two leaders have really been pretty negative for the Conservative Party, obviously for first Boris Johnson and then Liz Truss. And, and Rishi Sunak, I, I think, isn't enough of a break um, from those two leaders. Well, I mean, the, the, the problem is he's loaded, isn't it? I mean, you know, he's he's there. He's you know, he's 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 obviously earning a mozza. So is his wife. They have foreign holidays when no one else can afford it. You know, he appears on. Uh, I mean, he's a bit, he appears a bit smarmy in his uh, in his very expensive. He, he doesn't or, know how to fill up his car on the petrol station. Well, he also you know has a bit of a problem with his trouser leg uh, length well, as well. Yeah. But you know, you can't blame uh, him for that. <laughs> you could afford a better tailor, perhaps. But generally, I mean, people are looking and thinking, well, hang on, he doesn't reflect my life. So it's the, well, the worst combination, isn't it? Someone who's loaded in a time when everyone is struggling. 
Yeah, I do think that's a problem. I mean, I, I would put it one caveat there, though. I think there is, to some extent, a respect among some voters anyway for people who are well off. Uh, and there is an assumption that they have uh, got that wealth by uh, marrying well. into their own. <laughs> well, maybe it's <laughs> quite wealthy into before, their own efforts. There's a, there's a degree of respect, if you like, for, for people who've made money. Um, mm, and, you know, sure. I don't think that can be totally sniffed at. Mm. But I do think you're right. I mean, I think that, you know, the, the petrol station one, I would assume will be played again and again as we move towards the election. I mean, I think the helicopters are a bit of a problem as well, uh, to be honest. I mean, it's not just that it's, you know, environmentally suspect as far as a lot of people are concerned, but it does, you know, speak to a, a kind of lifestyle that is detached completely. We can work on a list of this, can't we? Because upgrading your electricity substation yeah. for your swimming pool doesn't look too <laughs> well, good either. Yeah, but I mean, we've kind of outlined, you know, obviously the problems, Tim, that, that, that they have, and, and they're, they're pretty obvious, I suppose. But what to do about them? And we've seen a kind of change of gear in the party, it seems to me, in the last month or so, which is really, well, I think you could describe it as, as finding red meat to throw at the mm. right of the party, whether it's on immigration or it's coming out of the um, European Court of Human Rights or various other things, uh, and perhaps the Lee Anderson territory, we can call it, the deputy uh, chair of the party. Um is that likely to be productive, doing that kind of thing? Well, I suspect it will influence some voters. I mean, we don't want to be too um, stereotypical about this, but I think there are some voters in the so-called red wall, uh, you know, who voted for the party because of Brexit in 2019, who might be pulled back. Uh, into the party's fold by some of those um, policies. I mean, I think it you know speaks to a, a kind of wider transformation in the Conservative Party, really, from a kind of mainstream centre-right party to a kind of ersatz populist radical right party, if you like, that yeah. you see on the continent. Um, you know, when you've got people like Lee Anderson, you know, talking in the way that he does, uh, not just in terms of, you know, the message he's sending, but in the quote-unquote salty language he uses. I mean, that is not a million miles away from the, the kind of stuff that um, you know, populist leaders of, of parties on the far right, to be honest, in, in Europe. Um, but have they got that? I mean, is that us? I mean, yeah, does it play here in the way it would I mean, he said or... He said his salty language reflects the righteous indignation of voters. I just wonder whether that is the case or whether, you know, we we are all feeling indignant about uh, asylum seekers coming in, into our country. Well, I mean, I think, you know, there clearly are some voters for whom that is an important issue. And if the Conservative Party can you know distract and deflect uh, by using that issue then I'm sure they're going to carry on doing that presumably they do think it has some traction otherwise they wouldn't be doing it I mean you they are focus grouped up to the eyeballs um, these people they you know they read polls uh, in depth as well as just the headline figures you know they realize that their target audience or at least some of their target audience, uh, is going to find these kinds of uh, policies and that kind of rhetoric um, quite appealing. Including the eco or the anti-eco policies as well, you know, against ULEZ and, and what came out of the Uxbridge by-election. Does that play the same but way? Before, before we get on to that, just on, the, on this point, though, about, you know, the anti-immigration stance, I mean, it's how is that playing out with the, you know, the, the, the more traditional Tory voter? I mean, on, on the one side, it's almost becoming the nasty party uh, as far as it's, you know... It's, Theresa it's, May it's, coined that phrase, isn't <laughs> well, there we are. Well, little did she know what was to come. Yeah. You know, um, how does that play out? We know the traditional well, I mean, stockbroker right. I mean, voter. Yeah, I mean, I think the the migration uh, issue and the rhetoric around it is a bit of a double-edged sword because it could alienate as many people as it attracts. 
Uh, and I think, you know, Conservative Party have to be quite careful uh, uh, about that. But on the other hand, I don't think we can draw too strong a distinction between, if you like, the traditional, slightly more moderate Conservative voter on the one hand, and if you like, the more kind of headbanging <laughs> uh, 2019 Conservative voter on the other. I mean, you know, a lot of people in this country are worried about migration and do have pretty restrictive views uh, on it. Now, I think the problem is more in the rhetoric for, for the country yeah. voters that we're talking about Well, the about F now. off back to France is not yeah, what yeah. a traditional I mean, I, Tory voter would yeah, see I, their party as yeah, the language I mean, they'd I, be using. I think, you know, I think there will be a whole bunch of, you know, potential Conservative voters who are completely put off by that kind of thing. And I mean, in some ways, you know, I'm making a moral judgment quite rightly. I mean, I, I really don't want or wouldn't want as a parent of young children, my my children are grown up now um, to see that someone who represents this government uses that kind of language. I mean, yeah. it really is just... Well, it comes across as desperation, doesn't it? And then, so the question yeah. is, is the party pulling itself apart? Well, that, that's the same thing with, I think, the eco thing, because, again, that's another sector that you probably alienate as many as you as you win over if you start pushing against green policies, which, I mean, certainly the youth vote must be yeah. very much in play. Yeah, but then we get to this question of differential turnout, don't we? Um, you know, it, it might offend a, a bunch of young people, but young people don't come out and vote as much as middle-aged and older people. So there's a, a degree to which I think the Conservatives always feel that they can get away with um, if you like, policies that uh, don't really attract young voters um, because they, they don't really feel they're going to be punished by those voters uh, in the way that they would be if they were pushing policies that didn't attract pensioners, for example. So uh, I think you're, you're clearly right. And obviously, when we're talking about young voters, we might now be talking about people into their 30s and, and, and 40s um, uh, who will be you know, parents of young children and probably will worry a bit more about the environment. So you're right. They do have to be a bit careful uh, about that. And of course, the question about ULEZ is that, well, ULEZ is a very particular policy being carried out in London. There are a few other places where you know, some kinds of schemes might come in. And you know, Cambridge, we've already seen a, a problem for uh, the opposition parties there. But uh, I mean, really, there aren't that many um, places in the country that are affected by those kinds of schemes. So it, it is a bit of an issue, I think, for them. And ULEZ, obviously, you know, that's a that's a Labour uh, mayor that's introduced ULEZ. Well, no, no, originally, I, of course, no, it was no, Boris no, Johnson. Just, I know, but, yeah. you know, as far as the public's concerned or as yeah, far yeah. as the, the message would be, this is a Labour government and, uh, you know, we, we're, we're going to yeah. try and stop that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think there's been a good deal of over-interpretation of that result as well. I mean, only the Labour Party could turn a failure to win a seat that they've never won by just 500 <laughs> votes into a complete disaster uh, PR-wise yeah. for a week. I mean, it really is quite incredible. I think Labour could have done a lot better in terms of framing that policy in the first place. Uh, but, you know, their reaction to the by-election, it seems to me, has been, you know, totally counterproductive in, in, in many so, ways. So, so, Tim, I mean, just, just thinking about the Tory party. Now, this is a party that's been in power for 13 years, one form or another. Obviously, there was the coalition to start with. They're also, uh, by some measure, just about the most successful election-winning organisation in Europe uh, and, and have been, you know, have done incredibly well over a very long time in clinging on to power. If a Tory now came to you and, and said, Tim, what can we do to win the next election? Is there any hope? What would you say? Well, I mean, I think, to, to be honest, they can't run away from the economy. They ought to be talking more about, you know, how their plan for the economy, uh, to, to use George Osborne's phrase, is a long term economic plan. Um, I think, you know, that that is one thing I would advise. I would advise probably keeping off 
the migration and, and green issues, at least to the exclusion of talking about the economy. They really do need to do something pretty urgently about the health service. But whether they can do that in the, the next year or so, I think is a, a, a real problem. Uh, and I think obviously what they do need to do is, is talk about you know, some of the disadvantages of um, Labour's policy, in particular when it comes to taxation. And I think if they can convince people that you know, Labour is spendthrift, as they normally do manage to do at elections, and that uh, you know, Labour will cost you more even when you know, times are already tight, then you know, there is some mileage in that. But I do wonder whether you know, after 13 years, you have simply kind of run out of road, really. Um, it, it's unlikely, um, I think, for any government to be elected you know, so many times. Um, it feels a bit like the late 1990s, doesn't it? It's it like does, a reenactment. but then, of course, you get back into this um, question as to whether the next election is going to be 1992 uh, or 1997. Mm. I mean, a lot of people said in 1992, well, you know, they've been in, what, 13 years, they can't possibly get in again, and yet they managed to. Uh, and in part, that was down to a, a kind of tax scare and, of course, a very effective campaign against um, Labour's leader. Now, I, yeah, Keir Starmer I did, isn't Neil Kinnock. No, no, uh, Keir Starmer isn't Neil Kinnock. And I think, you know, personally speaking, I think many people would now say Neil Kinnock was rather better leader of the Labour Party than, than some oh. well, you, so No one's time. quite sure what Keir Starmer is at all, are they? I mean, that, that's part but of the isn't that, isn't that his secret, his secret, secret weapon? Do nothing. Yeah. yeah. But it, on, on the point about fixing the economy, it's pretty hard, isn't it, really, for the Tory party to have a plan which is not going to spend more. I mean, you can't fix the National Health Service without spending more. Uh, you really, you, you can't help uh, people who are, are struggling without readjusting uh, the, the, you know, the distribution of taxes. Whatever you do, it's pretty much a Labour Party policy that you've got to come up with. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do think that is a problem. If if your whole point is that you know we're not going to spend too much, um, it's obviously quite difficult to do something about you know mm. the, the the very big. Um, uh, amount of money that you'd need to spend to put the health service right. And, and of course, they, they really are running out of time to do anything about it right now anyway. So I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, Aust- I mean, austerity think- is not a vote winner, basically. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, look at 2015. There's an extent to which if you can portray the other party as profligate, uh, then, you know, there is a degree, I think, to which people still buy that household analogy. You know, you shouldn't spend more money than you actually have in the, the kitty. Yeah. Uh, and that can be quite effective. It was for C- Cameron Osborne in, in 2015. But then Ed Miliband the is not Keir Starmer either. So, I mean, I think this no, is the interesting no. difference. The thing that people forget about 2015, however, is that actually the government did manage to get real wages rising. Um, you know, about six months a year out um, from the election. And, and, you know, that does make a difference. So if, as we're beginning to see now, wages are catching up with prices, then, you know, that will, I think, help the government a little bit. But whether they can they can do, you know, uh, enough uh, in the time they have available. So you've sure. said that a couple of times. So they, they, <laughs> might, they might be catching up now with where they were maybe six months ago, but go back a couple of years and, yeah. and people have taken a big fall. Yeah, yeah um, and they've got I, the mortgage problem as well. And and, and yeah. although obviously you know it's true to say that you know not everybody is affected straight away, uh, you've got a kind of rolling thunder effect here, where more and more people are coming off fixed terms uh, for their mortgage, and they're going to find obviously that they are then paying quite a lot more. And I don't know if um, you you heard Rishi Sunak in a phone in program. I think it was last week. Uh, 
where yeah, BC, um, someone yeah. someone gave a good call, um, you know, a, a, an average guy, I think three kids, uh, whose mortgage had gone up, I think about, you know, £600 a month or something like that. And all Sunak's, um, you know, reply centred around was, you know, what the average person was facing in terms of a mortgage rise, which of course didn't help that guy at all. So uh, he's, so that gets back to the whole out of touch thing, doesn't it? And if yeah. you, I, I always think with, with, with Rishi Sunak, um, that he, he looks like a, the, you know, the, the, the losing side on a high school debating team. He looks like he's been trained in how to talk publicly and he does that, you know, he moves the hand in the right way. He's got that smile, you know, he's, he's done, doing everything he's been taught, but there's nothing genuine there's in no there. There's no authenticity. And I think there. everyone's seeing through it, yeah. yeah. No, I think not only is there no authenticity, there's there's very little authority either, although he has mm. managed, I think, to get a grip on the Conservative Party. And it, that is worth reminding ourselves of, because I, there was a lot of talk, I think, when Liz Truss went and Rishi Sunak came in that the Conservative Party was ungovernable. Uh, and actually, I think what's happened is that the Conservative Party has now managed to kind of pull itself together, at least. And you're not getting huge rebellions in Parliament. You're not getting a, an awful lot of kind of backbiting. Uh, against Rishi Sunak. I mean, given how badly they lost the other two by-elections, you might have expected, you know, uh, a bit of headless chicken action on the part of the parliamentary party. But Tim, is that... Is that going to last? Because that actually brings me to the point I wanted to think about, which is if, if we make us a working assumption that Tories are not going to win the next mm. election, a lot, of, a lot of talk at the moment about how far the party will pull itself apart in opposition and which direction to go. You mentioned perhaps, you know, mm. the right wing image of the, the far right in some parts of Europe. Mm. And you've got a lot of very loud voices still within the party on that. Uh, do you think that is the direction it's going to go? Is it going to be a party that just licks its wounds and, and comes back for another go? Or is it going to face something, well, pretty terminal? Is it going to pull itself apart yeah. more? Yeah, because I mean, you talked about there, you know, the, the civilised times when we could talk about the state of the economy and, you know, mm. have have debates about that. But really instead, we're, we're swearing about migrants. And I just wonder, you know, we're, we're in a Trump era, aren't we? And it looks like Trump might come back again. And, you know, has that sort of infiltrated well, politics locally as would, well. Would and that's Boris just, come back as the leader of that potentially? Yeah, exactly. Just follow the success of Donald Trump, perhaps. So, yeah, I, mean, are, I mean, are we entering I, a new era? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think, you know, there is a question as to whether this transformation I was talking about earlier from a mainstream centre-right party into a populist radical right party is permanent or not. I mean, it's easy to think that, you know, it is, but actually the Conservative Party's record over time, and I must stress over time because it doesn't always happen straight away after an election loss, is that it, you know, it comes to its senses as it were, and um, begins to actually rethink what it wants to do. And if you look at, for example, 1997, um, the Conservative Party did really head for the ideological hills, really, th till 2001 and even till 2005. And it was only when David Cameron came in uh, as leader at that point that the Conservative Party you know, began to think more seriously about how it needed at least to project change, whether it actually changed that much is another matter. Um, so I, I would expect that pattern to repeat itself, to be honest. I would expect the Conservative Party to double down on the direction it's taking at the moment, which is, as you say, is very, you know, is rather kind of populist radical right. Um, probably elect a leader, you know, like Kemi Badenoch, for example. You, you uh, think Kemi Badenoch could become the leader? Yeah, I mean, I, I I do think that she's probably in pole position. I think she's probably the bookie's favourite. And I suspect if you see, you know, the way that um, she's positioned herself uh, 
over time that she's probably got the best chance. I mean, it'd probably be her versus Penny Mordaunt, but who can tell? Uh, so but, how different would we be now if Penny Mordaunt had actually won the uh, the, the contest? Well, uh, I mean, I think, you know, she's got this image as, you know, slightly more moderate, slightly more liberal, but you always have to remember that she was the woman who basically, you know, doubled down on the idea that Turkey was about to join the European Union in the Brexit debate. So <laughs> I don't think mm. she's, uh, it's all relative, she's got much compunction say. about running, you know, a, a fairly kind of right-wing um, populist strategy. We were so desperate to clutch at straws, weren't we, that we thought, <laughs> let's choose a politician. Let, you know, let's all get behind a politician who knows how to hold a staff upright <laughs> for a long time during a sword. coronation. Yeah. A, a sword, sword sorry. Yes, yeah, yeah. no, no, yeah. she, you know, the cutting yeah. edge of Penny Morden. Yeah, but, but uh, I mean, I, I do think that the problem for the Conservative Party, you know, when it if it goes into opposition, is that, you know, people won't want to hear very much from the Conservative Party and the temptation for it will therefore um, be probably to, um, you know, go even further on the kind of populist radical right thing just to get attention, uh, as it were. And I think, you know, that's when we get into, you know, people promising to leave the European um, convention, uh, for example, uh, you know, we, you get even more criticism of, you know, the Labour government as it will be then, migration policy, etc. But uh, in the end, um, you know, it does often take a, a, a couple of election losses for the Conservative Party to to think about, you know, whether it can uh, it, it can really carry on in in that vein. I mean, a lot of what will happen after the election, I should say, does slightly depend on who is there in Parliament, and yes. if they really get a shellacking, you will find that a lot of the kind of loud mouth, you know, red wall, they'll be out. Is, um, they won't be there anymore. Well, I was going to say, I mean, that's an interesting question because some of the biggest names are in some quite vulnerable places. Um, you know, even even Rhys Mogg, you know, his yeah. Somerset constituents, I think he's looking a bit concerned about that. Yeah, yeah. Quite. Could I that mean, shape the party? Yes. I mean, I, de- I definitely think it will. And that's one reason I think that Kemi Badenoch is probably in a pretty good position because it's very difficult to imagine her losing, you know, famous last words in Saffron Walden. Um, but it is easily um, conceivable that a, a lot of, uh, as I say, the kind of loudmouths, I mean, the Anderson is the uh, best example, um, not that I think he's ever got a chance of being leader, you know, will be gone. So will Jonathan Gullis and Stoke, you know, all those people that we've become very, very familiar Nadine with. Doris, possibly, finally, although <laughs> we never know with that. It doesn't really make much difference, does it? I think, the- I think we'll have to be a stake through the heart of the silver bullet to get rid of Nadine Doris, to be honest. But there was a kind of purge of the party, wasn't there, in, in, in 2019, of the, the day, you know, a lot of the people who had yeah. formed the kind of centre to centre left of the party. Mm. Mm. Yes, that's it, right. It struck me that was a, that was a really an epochal change because you lost the the voices that had in the past been that other side of the party. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, I, I I think you can overdo the extent to which you know it was a, a bunch of sort of centrist MPs who who got kicked out. I mean, I think a lot of them were sort of basic bog standard Thatcherites, if you like, uh, uh, like the majority of the Conservative Party. They weren't particularly particularly centrist or moderate in some ways, but certainly in, in, on the Europe issue, they, they were a lot more, uh, if, if you like, internationalist and liberally minded. And, and that part of the party does seem to have shriveled and, and died, really, which is why it might be more difficult for the Conservatives to come you know, to their senses, as you know, some people might describe it, after the next election, because you know, there's the, that bunch of people aren't there. Having said that, um, I think, you know, if you if you do find that, 
you know, a really bad defeat gets rid of some of the, you know, the, the very kind of loud mouth radical right wing people in the Conservative Party, then that gives, you know, people who are relatively speaking moderate a little bit more of a chance to, you know, get hold of the party again. So there's two outcomes then. And I know, t- take your point that it depends on who's left. But on the one side, they become, which seems the sensible approach, let's be more moderate because we only need to go through one term of government mm. because Labour mm. probably aren't going to fix very much and some mm. of those underlying issues are going mm. to remain. Mm. Uh, so we'll come back as the as the reasonable approach to, to fixing, you know, the, mm. the long-term stable solution mm. versus the, uh, no, it's just the extreme right-wing mob. We're going to yell and we're going to use as many expletives till people hear us. Which, which one's it going to be? Well, I mean, I think what you'll find is that they'll they'll try a combination of both um, uh, after a while. I mean, I think mm. there probably will be, you know, a doubling down on the radical right wing rhetoric to begin with. Uh, that won't work. I think, you know, for one election, uh, they might try it for the, the second um, term of a Labour government if we get a Labour government. And then eventually you will get, you know, more moderate voices saying, you know, we, we can't actually carry on like we are. We need to to, to change. Right, unless, so, unless politics has changed forever. Well, that's possible. That's possible. And of course, it does depend very much on the leader as well. Yes. So when we're talking about Kemi Badenoch, it is worth remembering that, you know, her crack uh, recently, you know, when she was confronted with a bunch of Eurosceptics who were, you know, uh, upset about, you know, her not uh, doing what they wanted on on Europe, she said, you know, I'm a conservative, I'm not an arsonist. (laughs) And I think in some ways... Um, that suggests that perhaps she's not quite the kind of, you know, central casting, radical right wing headbanger that some people um, assume. And very much on that point, because we haven't really mentioned the Brexit word that much in all this. And that was that has been the the thing that has determined politics, really. Mm. So for such a long period, particularly mm. within the Tory party, mm. I mean, a lot of talk about whether Labour might manoeuvre back into a, a kind of Norway in terms of relationship with Brussels or something. But within the Tories, is it still... The, the the biggest issue is it still something that that will divide them could they turn around could a portion of the party actually favor i don't know rejoining or is it or is it absolutely toxic uh no i mean i can't see that happening to be honest for for 10 20 years as far as the conservative party are concerned having said that of course i mean you know the if if the the facts change then you know you might well find some conservatives beginning to talk about that but really you know they're if you look at, for example, Tobias Elwood, and you know he's occasionally suggested perhaps rejoining the single market or getting closer in that way. I mean, the pylon that occurred when he suggested that, I think, is indicative of of where you know the centre of gravity in the party yeah. is right. Almost now. as bad as when he cozied up to the Taliban. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, and of course, in some uh, Conservatives by the Taliban in the EU are basically the same thing. Oh, ah, yeah. yeah. So you see, when you get a bit of hope, they always do something to stuff it up, don't they? they do. So, Tim, yeah. we, have to, we have to move on. But, I mean, out of everything that you've said, I mean, I'm not seeing any great hope for, for any politicians, really, anywhere, actually talking about anything which is going to be for the good of the economy. It all, it's, all, it's all to do with the good of the party. Yeah, true. Um, I mean, I do think with regard to Labour, and we talk a lot about the Conservative Party, I mean, there is a question as to where whether what Labour is saying or isn't saying in order to try and ensure that it wins the next election will actually govern its policy once it becomes the government. 
you know, that you could well find, as you find with other governments, them saying all sorts of things in order to make it into office and then doing all sorts of uh, very different things uh, once they're there. And I mean, you know, just look at 2010, uh, David Cameron talking about there will be no swinging cuts. Um, it was all about the NHS, you know, it was modernization, et cetera, et cetera. And then we got this incredible austerity policy uh, and, you know, this, this promise to um, clamp down on migrants, which of course they didn't deliver on. So uh, I do think we have to take whatever Keir Starmer says with a, a pinch of salt and it might not be very inspiring, but if I guess his um, plan is it wins them an election, then you know, all well and good. And at that point, all bets are off. By any means necessary. Exactly. So what you're saying is he might become prime, he might actually become interesting after the, after the election. <laughs> well, we can live in hope on that, irrespective yeah, of what he comes yeah, out with. Hear, Just that would be a step forward. First. That's right. <laughs> all right. Tim, thank you so much for doing that. Really interesting. And uh, well, we will see. The next year will be very interesting, both here and on the other side of the Atlantic, but I think particularly here. And we'll talk to you again soon, Tim. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, politicians not uh, not doing what they promised. I mean, that's that's unheard of, surely. I, know, I just wonder whether we're all just going to get sick of politics and, uh, you know, whoever, we don't really care. We're just, uh, oh, well, we're that's, just that's when it all goes wrong because they get on with whatever they want to do. Yeah, but do they make much difference ultimately? I mean, when you say, you know, they're going to fix mm. the economy. Well, mm. if you want to, you know, if you actually want to improve the, the lot of people, then change the Bank of England to, you know, or the governor of the Bank of England, change the approach, start cutting interest rates rather yes. than... So a government remove the Bank of England's uh, independence, perhaps. Yeah, or I don't know, or we just. Mm, or I just, can think of a country where that kind of thing goes on quite a lot. <laughs> can you? Yeah, well, there's a few of them, aren't there? Well, really? let's but, talk about China because yeah. that is where uh, clearly well, the economy is directed. Yes. Uh, absolutely, and they they are you know suffering big problems right now, which is sense, rather interesting because China is going through deflation. Well, it is at the moment. Yeah. How it long exists. it'll how long it'll last? But yeah, I mean, it it is the opposite of what we're all contending yeah, with. That's yeah. that's for sure. And a big problem for China because the whole of the Chinese deal, if you like, is prosperity and what will happen to the country if they don't deliver on that, but also because the world is so tied in with the well, Chinese they've got, they've got a, a double problem, haven't they? Because they've got deflation, which is a problem in itself, but also mm. deflation with a slowing economy mm. as well. Yeah. So they really are in trouble. And you wonder how much of it is uh, just because there's a lack of confidence domestically, how much of it is the, uh, the, you know, the, the, the follow-on from COVID, uh, but also decoupling from the West as well. How much of it is they're just not selling stuff to us and we're not you know we're not selling stuff to them how much yeah. of that is impacting uh, their economy as so well? how our economy interacts with their economy and indeed the global economy it's an interesting subject we're going to tackle it next and week what does china do faced with this where do? you've got where you've got a political party yeah. that's promised that everyone is going to be better off all of a sudden when they're not how mm-hmm. are they going to respond to that yeah. what tends to happen of course when uh, the chips are down is that countries look to start a war somewhere, well, for yes. example. And talking of chips, of course, microchips are a big issue and all that as well. So, so much to talk about next lots week. Lots to talk about, and we will be talking about it and debating next week on... The Why Curve, brought to you by Wigmore Associates. We'll see you next week. Thanks Bye. for listening. The Why Curve. <laughs>